Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in, and if you're a regular listener, we've made it to episode 161, which means we are on the downside to episode number 200. Can't even believe that we're still in business and that we're still doing this puppy, but uh, it has been a great ride. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the last episode, episode 160, with Mike Dilbeck, he was guest number two, and we brought him back to talk about some tough times that entrepreneurs sometimes have with health or, or other things that sort of blindside you. If you didn't get a chance to do that, I recommend you go back and check out episode 160 because he was really open and honest and shared what he's going through, and I think that was a pretty serious but uh, needed conversation here on the show. So today, we have a guest with us named Chris Thompson. Now, he's a dynamic personality, he's an endurance athlete, and he is the CEO of True Brain, which is a venture-backed neurotechnology startup, and he's the developer of the world's first nootropic drink. Now, I can't wait till he tells us exactly what that is. He built this company based on productivity, which means he's the perfect guest for my show. Now, he started this business inside an accelerator and has since assembled a team of neuroscientists. He launched the product in five countries all within a, mo- all within a month, and TrueBrain is designed to help provide better focused, increase mental stamina, and improve verbal fluency. I just think it's cool what he's doing, so I wanted him to come on to cool things entrepreneurs do. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me on. So tell everybody a little bit more about your business. I mean, I kind of gave like this overview that there's this thing called True Brain, but but what is it? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, essentially, um, you know, there's, there's a lot in there um, that you mentioned, but, you know, we really want to be a brand that we're building that's the guide around productivity as we take it forward in phases. So, you know, if you look at the guys who've been sort of thought leaders in the productivity space, there's a lot of you know, self-help gurus, you know, Tim Ferriss is big in the space, Dave Asprey, Joe Rogan. And where we want to take it is more to a data-driven place um, where there's real science behind it. So, you know, those guys have done a great job um, in making, you know, in making a lot of the things that you do, whether it be like better process or diet or anything, you know, all the factors. Um, but what we wanted to do and, and the reason I started this company is I wanted to figure out um, when I was at work, why can't I figure out, you know, some days are great, some some are not, and you just are able to get your work done effortlessly sometimes and sometimes not as much. And if you take other parts of, you know, your life or other things going on, like, for instance, I was out cycling and I can measure everything every single second. And, you know, I can measure my heart rate, my elevation, cadence, power, um, you know, everything about it. And some days you're having, you know, you feel great. I can do a 30 mile ride and no problem. And other days it's more of a struggle. And why can't I measure exactly what's going on? Why can't we do that with the brain? And that was really um, the whole idea behind the company. And that's really our whole mission is we believe that neurotechnology and this measurement can improve how we live across a number of different ways. And our, you know, our products um, that we've started with are just the the first step in sort of the what we can do from the diet piece to the overall equation. But what I've done with the UCLA neuroscientists that we met and, and Andrew Hill as well is build that around, you know, um, 
measurement first, of course. If we can't improve anything unless we can measure it. So it's figuring out from day to day, you know, what Andrew's done is had CEOs, artists, lawyers, et cetera, go through his practice and it's, you know, clients going through this system where we're actually measuring their brainwaves in stressful conditions and stressful um, situations. So we can see how are they, how good are they at managing distractions? How good are they at like staying focused and on task and um, all kinds of performance tests? And we measured what was great about when they were on point and when they were not. And we've actually quantified like what it looks like to be in the zone. You know, everybody that famous Michael Jordan game where he's shrugging saying, I don't know what's going on. I'm just absolutely in the zone and everything I do um, turns out to, you know, be amazing, right? I can get fouled and just throw up a shot and it's going in, right? <laughs> if you remember that, like the, that playoff uh, series that he had. So we can quantify that. That shouldn't be a mystery. He shouldn't be shrugging. So what we're saying is Michael Jordan's no longer shrugging. We have the answer. We can read minds. So we can literally read minds. We can read brain waves and determine how you can optimize that. And it goes into a broader sort of algorithm or equation. You know, when you think about sleep being a big, important factor to it, diet, you know, meditation, distractions, um, et cetera. So we feel like we've come up with this program where, you know, outside of, of course, our products are just one small piece, but we're trying to build this, um, you know, this information that's just out there and that's free that people can get the most out of their, their, um, their work days and really the most out of just um, everything, you know, being present in situations and, and all that. So we've been able to help a lot of people optimize kind of their time and get the most out of things. Well, I do find it interesting from a from a non-scientific, non-study side. Some days I'm just on fire and every single thing I do is just boom, 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 boom. And other days I'm just a big slug. And lately I've found that diet actually does pay, play a big piece into it. So, you know, we're about to wrap up the season of Lent. And every year for Lent, I try to do something pretty serious. One year I went vegan. I've given up booze one year. I've done all kinds of different things. And this year I decided to make healthier choices, more like an endurance athlete would make. And along the lines, I gave up all processed sugar, all pasta, and all bread. Now, I also took into the fact that my friends who are endurance athletes say every now and then if their wife has a dessert, they can take a bite. They just won't eat the whole tiramisu. And so I took that into effect, and I cheated here and there. But for the most part, for the last six weeks, I I changed my whole diet, and I had two pieces of results. One is I've lost 14 pounds. And the second thing is, is that my mental clarity is through the roof and I'm having far more days where I'm getting things done than maybe when I was chowing down on all that processed sugar and and bread and pasta. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the way that we look at it is the equation is sleep plus diet plus workouts plus meditation minus stress minus distractions. And of course, you have your underlying biology and your underlying genetic code, which of course you're just trying to maximize within those constraints at the moment until we of course become bots and we'll have implantable chips and we go well beyond your own biology and your genetic code and you'll be able to you know, rise well above that. But you know, for now it's of course just optimizing within that. But I totally agree. I mean, you know, a lot more, um, and it doesn't have to be extreme. There's of course like cheat days as they say, but, uh, because willpower is a part of it as well. Yeah, but yeah, will, I mean, willpower. That's sugars, why sugars. But you know, Andrew will tell you, you know, sugar is the worst for the um, for the brain because um, it you know causes all that inflammation, and um, that's you know connected to the brain just like it is with the body. And of course, a lot of people with carbs 
um, and, and gluten and things like that are slowed down a bit as well. So yeah, no, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just been like a sort of, I was not expecting to lose that much weight, nor was I expecting to, to have this much clarity. And, and as Lent comes to an end with Easter Sunday days away, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stick on this rather than going back. Usually like when I went vegan, you know, Easter Sunday, I got into a bacon coma. And this time I'm going to just keep avoiding the sugar because it's been really interesting. But could you repeat that formula that you just said? You said it was like sleep plus diet plus re- re- minus something. Yeah, repeat, so repeat that whole thing slowly. It, sure. So we try to keep it relatively simple. There's more to it. But um, the way that we look at the productivity equation or algorithm is sleep plus diet plus workouts plus meditation minus stress, minus distractions. <coughs> so that is actually very simple, a little long, but very simple. I wrote it down here. And the reason I wrote it down is one would think, well, boy, that is really simple. Just diet and, and sleep and workout and meditation and get rid of distractions and stress. But for an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, that's really hard. I mean, you know, sleep is often something we forfeit. Diet takes a back seat. We never have time to work out. You know, and it's like, when do you have time to meditate? Stress is part of the game and everything distracts me. So really, what you're talking about isn't as easy as it sounds, is it? Right, exactly. And it's about figuring out where, you know, how you are on each of those factors and then putting into place, you know, just trying to get better on each of them. And I think that you'll find yourself moving along, you know, whether it's clarity is the way that you you know, could describe getting better or, or, or anything else. But, you know, we like to really measure the gains, but it's not quite as accessible as uh, as it could be so far with current neurotechnology. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you can, the end of the day, you have to feel it subjectively. So, um, yeah, that's definitely what we're, uh, what we're working on. So, Chris, what's your background? What led you to becoming an entrepreneur? So, I had, um, I... Went to Georgetown undergrad and I did a couple years of management consulting for um, Fortune 500 and started as a generalist and then went into consumer products as a as a focus and then I went back to business school at Duke and went to Unilever where I was in the brand management program there and did um, Hellman's Mayonnaise which is best foods on the West Coast yep um, for an eighteen month rotation and then I went to um, Suave shampoo and, um, suave body wash, um, for another 18 months. And, um, it was great experience, great training. I mean, I just, you know, found out pretty quickly that I always was entrepreneurial, um, and, you know, never really, um, you know, had the, had an opportunity, never really took the chance to, to act on it as much as I could have. If you look at like my career bio, it doesn't really come through, but the people that know me, personality wise, always thought that was like a big part of, of who I was and what I was interested in. So, you know, I finally got the chance to really act on it, getting some good operating experience. And, um, I took a entrepreneur in residence role in New York. Um, and the whole time I was at Unilever really before I was, I was getting into the startup game. So I wasn't out there, you know, trying to start an idea and desperately trying to take in as much information as I could. It was more of a of a slow burn where, you know, Tuesday at 8 PM, I'd be back in New York going to an entrepreneur event, right. And just meeting people, having those conversations, building that network and slowly chipping away at like themes, um, that I felt like I, you know, were interesting to me and developing it into like a larger, you know, fairly kind of rational, 
um, approach of like looking at it as like a scorecard. Like, you know, when you go through and you get the business school education, it's, I think a lot of times it's a, a curse more than a blessing for, for startups and for entrepreneurship. But you can, you know, if you can use some of the tools, it can be a good thing. And in this case it was, you know, can you build a scorecard roughly either formally in Excel or just even mentally of saying, you know, what are themes that interest me, but what, what ones fit with my experience and, and your goal, right? Are you trying to build a unicorn billion dollar business or are you just going for quote unquote, like a base hit, right? And, and is, are these particular ideas viable for that? And, you know, do you need to, do you feel like you're great at raising money? Is that what you want to do? Can you, are you the type of person that has the instant networking connections that can just raise a couple million with very little traction or just proof of concept, then that should play into what you, what you select. Right. So, um, it's not just, I love this and I'm going to do it. There definitely could be something you love and you could find the right angle and find the right entrance point and approach, but you have to be realistic with, I think, um, at least that's, that's how I went about it. And I would, you know, I tell, um, some young alums and things like that, that I think you have to be realistic and look at all the factors that, you know, could lead you to the right place. So I really did a lot of, um, I did a lot of interviewing. I interviewed with a lot of teams. I interviewed with Bonobos and Foursquare and Betterment and, um, a whole slew of companies and really figured that a lot of those jobs, although they're glamorous and if they're early stage in their past series A and B, they were really jobs though. They were pretty distinct. And when I was at Unilever daydreaming, right. Looking outside the window saying, I want to do a startup. I was really, really envisioning, the discovery phase, that initial phase where anything can happen. You have a blank whiteboard, you're writing up ideas, um, you know, you're, you're sparring with each other on, on different approaches and what you're learning from the market and what, what data is coming back and what feedback coming back and you're constantly adjusting. That's the phase that I was really into. And I was then faced with, okay, do I have an idea that I can literally, you know, quit my job and say, I'm starting this. That was plan A or plan B is, you know, get a role where I can learn quickly on someone else's dime with some support. And then that'll lead to me starting it. So I, you know, after, after doing a lot of that work and a lot of the networking, I was, you know, always wondering like, will this actually come back and benefit me? I mean, you see the LinkedIn connections and you see that you're starting to kind of make some headway in that space, but you're wondering, will it really come through? And it actually did um, because I met, through relationships um, and just guys that I had met, um, I met these wealthy um, investors that were coming over with uh, from France. They were moving to New York and they were all creative. So they were artists, content producers. They had amazing connections um, and a lot of capital connections and a lot of celebrity connections and a lot of people behind their particular cause. And they wanted a quote unquote business guy. You know, that's how they thought of it. They're like, I want a business guy. I want somebody who can do everything to make our idea and turn all of our assets into something that can be tangible and have traction and get investment. And that was a six to nine month project to get them up to a, a business model that worked. And we did a sustainability, like a social commerce platform around sustainability. And, you know, during that, I was, I had the chance to meet a lot of VCs, to meet a lot of people in the space, to continue that, that learning and I started to develop, again, that scorecard, like, what did I want to do? What kind of themes were I seeing in the marketplace that were getting funding, that were attracted to, attracted to investors, uh, just as one signal, you know, as one um, data point that it was 
something to look into. And that's when I started to form a few of my own ideas and I applied to tech accelerators um, with this idea. And I got into one at Start Engine in LA, which was right on the border of UCLA. And that's when I started making my way through the neuroscience community at UCLA and got to know them and made my way to Andrew, who was doing exactly what I wanted to do from the very beginning, which was how can we measure brainwaves and why can't I figure out why some days are great and others are not, like we said at the beginning. So how long ago did you launch True Brain? Uh, we launched in, uh, we took 20K and in 90 days we were up in demo day with a couple thousand in sales around the world in Q1 of 2013. So in the last three years that you've been sort of up and running, what is it that you absolutely love about this life of being an entrepreneur? Um, well, I mean, I definitely remind myself that, I mean, there's there's always struggles, there's always challenges, and you can always move faster and do more and try to grow faster. <clears throat> but I would say that um, that just the journey, I think you have to really love the journey because it's never going to go as planned. It's never going to go as, you know, projected. Brad Feld, as you probably know, is, you know, has that famous quote where he's read a million, you know, pitch books and seen a million financial projections and not a single one has ever gone to plan. So like that notion that you're going to go as projected is absolutely hundred percent wrong. Um, so you have to love, I think the journey, you have to love, you know, being resilient and getting on a blank whiteboard. Um, and I just use that as like a, you know, something, I guess, a symbolic of sorts or whatever. But like you have to really be the type of person, I think, that likes to wake up. And there isn't some email and, you know, there isn't a comfortable desk to go to where the lights are already on and are, always will be on. And you're just meant to go in and react to some email and copy somebody and, draft up a meaningless sort of reply that can just keep things going and, you know, cover your own responsibility. And like, if that's what you really like, and that's what everybody gets trained to do in corporate life, um, you'll have to really break those habits, but you should probably be the person that loves getting up and there's nothing to respond to. There's no emails that are going to help you move the business forward. It's how do you create something of economic value from absolute zero? Go take the cap off the marker, you have a blank whiteboard. It's not, there is no, there is nothing set up. There is no system that you're just helping push along lightly. Um, and I think that if you, if you find that scary, um, you know, that's, everybody finds it scary, right? But if you find that scary and oddly thrilling <laughs> and challenging, then I, then you may, then you're crazy enough to probably give it a shot. Well, I mean, you're talking about the story of my life when you said that, you know, nothing sort of goes to plan. I've been working for myself for seven years and, you know, I've had success. But if I was to go back and look at my, you know, goal list and my plan list from seven years ago, it's not quite exactly. In fact, it's nothing like what I thought it would be, but it has been exactly that. It has been a journey and it's been thrilling. But Chris, do you ever have those days where you wake up and think, oh my God, what am I doing? I could be a vice president at Unilever and like, you know, go home every night at seven o'clock. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that. Of course, you look at, um, you know, you look at what your your past trajectory was in a certain area, or you look at your peers, and you know, I think a lot of people probably coach people to 
compare themselves to their peers and what tracks they're on a little bit less because it always looks a little bit better and more glamorous from the outside or from their LinkedIn profile or, or whatever it might be. But so, um, social media looks us all, makes us all look like we're having much more exciting lives than we do. Right, right. It's the whole humble bragging, um, <laughs> posting and things like that. Um, but, but yeah, I think that, I mean, I do, of course, but I mean, I definitely think that um, there's enough throughout the week um, and there's enough within the lifestyle that we have and the team that we've built and what we've created here that, that pretty much convinced me that, you know, it's, this has always kind of been the style that I've wanted. And um, there's just pros and cons. Um, and it's a, it's a lot of trade-offs, but it's essentially a lot more up to yourself to be creating and crafting and designing the lifestyle that you want, which is embedded with, with work. So, um, you know, work, work life integration or whatever else, um, what other, whatever other words that make it not a work life balance. Cause it's fully integrated, but I think that that's more on trend anyway, you know, for, for some of your listeners who are wondering, Oh, do I really want a work life balance or do I want this, um, lifestyle or can I continue to put up with something that's, um, startup where my life really is fully integrated with my work. Well, I would say that to make you feel a little bit better, I think that work-life balance is going, is becoming less and less and less a reality each day for your alternative plan, right? For your plan B that might be working as an employee for somebody else in, in a in perhaps a more boring, stable corporate environment, I think they're getting less and less work-life balance themselves. <laughs> um, and I even noticed I that at Unilever. It's like, you, what what you're supposed to be getting as a trade-off from that is a very comfortable position where things don't change that fast and you do have that stability and you can lean on a lot of other people and there's a lot of layers. Yes, but they're getting disrupted so fast by startups and in the, you know, in the, the public companies, like they have to respond now to short-term shareholder interest and they're starting to behave a lot more like the companies are trying to that are disrupting them. And that means more you know, more work-life integration, less of the, you know, what they call the balance part. So you may not be getting that on the other side as much going forward anyway. And I think each day that goes by, less and less because they are getting disrupted so fast and um, they need to respond. And one of the ways to do that is if people aren't performing, they have to shake things up or just even categories are going away fast. I mean, I was in Hellman's Banais and you'd think that there couldn't be anything more stable, but you know, Josh Tietrick with Just Mayo built the you know the plant-based mayonnaise and totally disrupted everything that you know Hellman's was doing. I mean, you know, if you look at the scale of how big those companies are, it's not like they were wiped off the shelves, but it's like they definitely missed um, that trend and capitalizing on it. And you know, there's there's eventually there'll be a need to try to do more, to put more innovation out, to test it more, to come up with more ideas because they constantly are getting caught out from somebody who's more nimble, more desperate, more hungry, more innovative and has the right environment and resources to take advantage of that. Well, and you talked about, you know, the, the big companies, there's the, the work-life balance, that trade-off is going away. The other thing is the security is gone. I mean, even seven years ago when I started my own business, I started my own business because I'd gotten laid off for like the third, fourth time in eight years because when the economy would go up and down, guess what? I worked for, you know, big companies, small companies. At the end of the day, they watch out for their bottom line. 
and they let people go, you know, and it's good people, people who are working hard, people who are producing. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if tough decisions have to be made and you're not the boss, you have no security anymore. So I think that's, you know, part of it, too, is that, you know, I find more security in being an entrepreneur than I did in being an employee. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's all how you maybe how that security is defined. But if you look at it from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, and, and there's a lot more capital um, that wants to, you know, a lot of capital is looking to be put to work in the, in those emerging segments and in startups and things like that, because, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more to be gained. And if you look at how kind of stable and um, slow growth, a lot of the other alternatives mm-hmm. are in the public markets, you know, that's, I think, a growing trend as well, which could even go to more security. I mean, you can raise capital for your startup or bootstrap it or whatever, and you still have to keep the growth path up or you'll, you know, run out of cash or try to make it, you know, sustainable. You know, as we as we are recording this now, um, you know, it's become a little bit more trendy to be a sort of slow slow, steady, sustainable growth, kind of more trendy to be a cockroach than a high cash burning (laughs) dreams of a unicorn. Um, but that could also change. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're, you're definitely right. Um, I think for a lot of people, the more and more the way that these trends go are, it's going to capture and pull in more people that maybe didn't have the, their risk tolerance wasn't off the charts. Like before, you had to be totally nuts. If, it, if everything else was so stable and great, it would only pull in the people with a risk tolerance of a 10 out of 10. But each day that goes by, now we're pulling in people nine and a half. Now it's nine. Now it's eight and a half. Now the entire creative class and millennials, they just want to do something more fun that actually makes a difference and impacts the world and, and are working with you know teammates that are genuine, authentic interactions that corporations they can't fake it they can't fake it it's all forced interactions and you like the people a lot of times of course that you work with i'm not saying that but it doesn't come together organically out of a out of some you know common interest it's more churning out the profiles that the corporate hr departments are pulling in and you have your role and you're competing against everybody else and there's just i think the that's an interesting trend too. Just sorry, as a aside, I guess kind of rambling on about this, but I, I think the whole millennials and the whole creative class and the innovators, they love this idea of you know on demand labor and being more more free, and that that stability is less important. So now on the risk tolerance, now that's a huge group that their risk is maybe an eight eight and a half. Now we're pulling them into the startup world, so it's almost becoming bigger. And now now mom and pop you know, non-accredited investors want to be able to invest in that. Why shouldn't they be let in on the party um, instead of just people with, you know, the VC cash that get in on the, on the early deals? So, Chris, I've got more questions for you. But first, I've got to thank our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Chris Thompson. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for our listeners. 
Now, one more quick little plug, and that is for the Cool Things Project. That's the group coaching program that I've been putting together. We are launched and we are ready to go. Jump over to TomSinger.com, go to the About button, pull it down, check on Group Coaching Program, and there's all the information you need. And for the next six months, we're going to put together a small but mighty community of people who want to explore that entrepreneurial side and have some have sort of a warm nest of friends, some peers that they can talk to about what they're dealing with, whether you've already started your business you're thinking about starting your business, or even if you work for a company and you just want to be more entrepreneurial in your job, come join us. We're going to have some fun. So Chris, what advice do you have for someone who wants to start their own business? Maybe they're in a job like you had when you were working for the, you know, the mayonnaise or when you were at Unilever. What, uh, what, what advice do you have for someone who wants to go do their own thing? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to take that, but I guess, you know, what, what comes to mind quickly is, Probably hedge a little bit while you can with some what I call minimum viable tests. So it's you know not any different from you know just placing small bets and small tests, very lean, very much like Eric Reese lean startup methodology on your concept. So instead of I think the habit that people get into um, before they're in the startup world, when they're in it, you know as they're going into it, it it's just a trait of human beings that you'd rather. I think the human brain would rather kind of muse and avoid the pain of, of trying and doing and testing. And they'd much rather talk and muse and speculate about things, right? So I wonder if, you know, this, I have a, a, you know, an idea for small businesses and a SaaS solution that would do this. And I think the natural instinct is to go talk to your colleague about it, to go ask your friends what they think about it. But instead of asking those people, in addition, right, that's good. Get some initial gut feedback from people. But the first thing is you want to find people in the target market. So if you're targeting, a, I'm just making this up like on the spot, but if this is, let's say it's a SaaS solution for HR and how can they find better, how can they hire better employees, right? You have a tool that you're thinking about building for them. You want to go find them. They're the target market. They're the only opinion that matters. So I think swallowing your your ego and saying your opinion doesn't matter unless you're a buyer of this product, a potential buyer in that in that prospect pool. That's the only people whose opinion matter. So get something in front of them, go have these like expert interviews and then make a minimum viable product offering anything. Sketch before you build a website. Sketch it out, put it in front of this person, to, you know, take them out to lunch, pay them if you have to and send them, but like get get this made and then, you know, go through the, you know, use the frameworks to not bog you down, but to quickly just make sure you're checking the right boxes. So, you know, look, I love like lean startup methodology, but you can also use Porter's five forces and all that just to make sure you're doing the checks is, is, does this already exist? Why would you be able to do it better? You know, like, or do you have the right resources to build this? And I, I think going through those checks is like painful because it eliminates a lot of ideas, but also will eventually bring you to the right place because it serves as bumper guards to orient you to what I think you could probably execute well. Um, but I would say that's something that I see that bothers me is that human beings don't want to act. They don't want to do and quickly iterate and create an awful, ugly looking, I mean, Reed Hoffman at LinkedIn. If you've launched and it looks great, you waited way too long. <laughs> I love that. If you, if you, Come up with a sketch on a piece of paper with pencil and show it to the person and say, are you talking like something like this? And then you might eliminate something 
early and save yourself tons of time. But I think the worst um, thing that entrepreneurs can do is just muse and talk and speculate around an idea with people that don't matter for that idea. If you're, if you're selling to HR people, it doesn't matter what your buddy thinks when you grab a couple beers with him after work to talk about this exciting startup idea. Like that's, that's what everybody's wired to do for some reason because that's convenient and easy and it avoids pain for the human brain. But the painful thing is don't meet with your buddy. Go meet with the HR person at lunch and show them sketches and then say, okay, great. I'm going to come back in two days. And I'm going to have another sketch made and I'm going to make a little landing page on a site. And then I'm going to test that hypothesis that you would actually pay for it. And I think that if, you know, this, is, this isn't my, I'm just sort of highlighting and saying the same thing in different words that Eric Reese has come up with with the lean methodology. So if you want to follow that, you know, that's another great place to start, which I think that if you had to pick one methodology to stick to, um, I'd say that's probably a pretty good bet to get you a lot of, uh, into a lot of good places and a lot of good habits versus you know, other things. If you're, you know, if you only have scarce time and just pick a tool and stick with it, that's probably a good one. And startup weekends, follow those and, and all that. So Chris, a couple of times you've talked about getting yourself in front of the right people, both in, in, in that last answer, but also in your own description of how you sort of got together and you met the people in the neuroscience department at UCLA and that led you to meeting the right people. How important do you think networking is for entrepreneurs? I think it's, I think it's pretty important up to a certain point. Um, which I guess is not really saying anything that valuable, right? That could be said about anything. But I, I guess to try to think, you know, to try to think about it, I guess I'm big on making sure, you know, there's, there's long-term networking and then there's more immediate needs depending on what your goals are. If you're trying to validate a particular, you know, particular idea, um, you know, long-term networking that you've done just to build your LinkedIn network that can that can help you a lot, but more you know more than going to those people, you can just get anonymous people as long as they're in the target market. You can go usertesting.com. You can you know hop on paid calls just to get quick feedback. So I think people tend to overestimate it um, for how helpful it is in the short term, and underestimate it um, how helpful it is in the long term. Well, I so. At least for me, like when I got that call from this, the wealthy group that was connected to publicists coming over from France to New York, that wasn't some, a guy that I had met last night and I you know, asked him if he had a job or do you know of any wealthy French investors coming over that need somebody <laughs> to run the show? Like that would have been absurd, right? That, that's, that's first of all, not the right way to go about it, but the odds of them having that are so low that it just looks dumb to ask. Right. So, but that was the result of long term value exchange when I had met this particular guy and then I had seen him at another event. And then I started sharing some thoughts and, you know, articles with him and just different things I was thinking about and then had let it go cold for a couple months and then it just came up. So I, I guess I don't know if you agree with that, Tom, but like I, I think that when people get, when you're in panic mode and you're kind of gripping the, um, the phone a little bit too tight. That's probably when networking can't help you as much as other things. But if you're holding it, you know, if you're holding that phone nice and loose and you're just relaxed about it and thinking that it's good, sustainable practice just to do and keep up quarterly and a lot of thought leaders 
you know, talk about going on a coffee meeting every, you know, a certain amount every quarter. And I mean, that's a longer term view. And I think that's probably where it can help you more so than immediate needs, where I think the answer is probably around less around some important person rather than like some important painful activity that you have to do and act on. Like go get feedback. It's not about networking. It's about just find somebody, give them $5 in the, they're in the right target market and get their feedback. Um, well, and, and I teach so, people, you know, I mean, I teach people all the time about how do you make these connections. And I, it goes back to the definition of what networking is. And everybody has different viewpoints. And really, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's the law the creation of long term and mutually beneficial relationships between two or more people where everybody succeeds more because of it, which actually validates what you're saying, because it's basically saying, look, if you have a short term need and you're going out saying, hey, do you know anybody who can hire me or someone who can buy my product? It, it doesn't necessarily work as well, whereas if you've built sort of that respect and that reputation and you're there to help the other person, it always seems to come back around. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, and you got to the same idea in about a fifth of the time, I think, <laughs> <laughs> that I did. But hopefully I had a little color. I mean, it's all um, good. It's all good. So been trying to keep it entertaining. But, but I, I agree. And I think that uh, you also have to be protective of the network. So like you say, going out and just asking for that, you know, trying to get a quick job or who can buy this. I mean, that actually turns people off a lot of the times for that networking. So you have to think you have to be okay with it evolving more organically, even though you might be desperate for traction and progress on certain things, go outside of your network for that and make that more transactional. Go find um, some quick and dirty user testing where you can just pay somebody that you're never going to talk to again $100 for ideas on, on something, or $50, what, free trial a lot of times, right? So do that where you're going to like churn and burn and get quick progress and treat your network more as nurturing mutual yep. value exchange. Like and you, you always say. got to, if you have a real network with real relationships, you've got to protect it. So, hey, Chris, right. I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? Well, you know, we have a lot of things going. I think, um, I guess if I had to pick one, it's, you know, the new formula, you know, coming out with new products um, and trying to apply our active nootropics formula where we're really leading and defining that category, um, trying to find new ways to make that, you know, a seamless, convenient part of people's routine and ritual in everyday lives. Um, so we're, we're, we're continuing to refine our coffee um, additive um, that if you can think of it like a, you know, one of the taglines we have, or do you want cream, sugar, or science, right? Like we're trying to have this just be an additive to coffee where we're going through a lot of feedback. So it's, you know, it's cool in the sense that it's, it's fun to get out there and we're, we're going to different offices and we're actually measuring, we're setting up the teams with, uh, with our neurotech headsets and we're actually measuring brainwaves and then having them test out different product formats and formulations um, to see what works best that's validated by the neurotech data and then also getting their feedback on, you know, formats and how it's used and just the whole product unboxing and experience. Awesome. So if somebody wanted to know more about your company and about the products that you offer, how in the world would they find you? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, just going to our sites, probably the, the hub of all the activity, you know, we're out on a lot of the social channels, but, you know, truebrain.com, that's T-R-U-B-R-A-I-N.com. That's first place to start there. You know, we're, um, we're active on a lot of other uh, channels, of course, we're producing content and, and guidance. 
if you sign up for our email list, you'll get the productivity algorithm and um, some of our content that we're giving there, which is general guidance. Or if anybody's in the Southern California area, you can actually come by and um, we can wire you up with our our headsets. It's not cheap, um, but we do have some some promo rates going if you subscribe. Um, if you're a customer of TrueBrain, we can get you a pretty good deal on the um, brainwave measurement if you're interested in some custom uh, work there to see how your stress response is and to see how you're able to block out distractions and kind of be productive throughout the day. So I was noticing online that you have your coffee, you have a drink, and then you have like capsules. What, tell us a little bit about those and how they, how they work. Sure, yeah. I mean, they're all, you know, the, the idea with all of them is it's really a format question. So they all have our active, you know, bioavailable active nootropics, which we're first to market um, and, and kind of leading the category with um, these food and beverage products. But it's really a question of format. Um, you know, some people are okay with the old, boring, you know, convenient, like lightweight uh, pills. You know, it's the pill packs, the capsules. Um, but most people now are going for our drinks. You know, it's faster absorption. Um, it's a it's a better experience. You know, it's a, they're actually not too bad tasting. Um, and then for people that are just getting into the category that like love coffee, um, that's meant to be a seamless introduction to, okay, well, you love your coffee. We're not changing the taste and we're adding in and enhancing it um, with some active nootropics so they can get a sense for working that into their ritual and just having more ammo. You know, your brain, when you're thinking and stressing and blocking out distractions and you know, you talked earlier about having like a cheat on sugar and things like that. That's because, you know, there's a lot of fascinating stuff that we're learning about the brain. We meaning the human race, like we just don't understand that much about the brain. But, you know, one thing we do know is it willpower is a distinct, um, you know, process in the brain. So if you have a sweet tooth and, you know, Tom, you know, you shouldn't have a, a thing of jelly beans like right in the table. So every time you're done with a podcast, you walk by and you think, oh, I'd love some. And you say, nope. I'm restraining myself, that actually metabolizes resources in the human brain and you run out of willpower. There's actually a a good TED talk on this. Um, And one of the things that nootropics are able to do, again, we're not saying that this is, you know, the end all be all, you must have this. It's a magical snake oil potion that's going to cure everything. Remember, it's just one piece to the diet, part of the overall equation, which is going to help you be as most, most productive and kind of you know, we think happy as possible because you can get more out of interactions and more out of conversations and be more creative. And having those underlying raw materials replenished in your brain helps you avoid distractions, helps you with your stress response, helps you with all those things. Because right now, what we have is a lot of stress and a lot of distractions with multi-screens, multi-app stimulus that depletes resources in the human brain. It's fascinating stuff. And we're trying to just replenish a little bit of those through this diet piece, um, which you can't get just by having a healthier diet. You have to have these, you know, food and beverage solutions, which, uh, which we put nootropics into. Gotcha. Hey, Chris, my last question for you. I think, you know, the great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So I love to ask my guests, in addition to you and the people you work with at True Brain, Who's someone out there where you think, wow, they're just crushing it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys, because I mean, um, and I'll name a few, but um, because I was big, you know, if you take you back to that, when I was really studying the game, I became a big student of the game, of the uh, startup space. Um, So I had the chance to meet a lot of these founders that I think are great uh, myself. But I mean, one comes right off the bat that we always cite in our 
background documents for people that want to join the team is, you know, I have audio clips and quotes and articles that I'm always pulling from these guys. And one is Brian Spaley of Trunk Club. Um, you know, he started Bonobos uh, with Andy as well. Um, but he's he's awesome. I mean, he just has a lot of, like, strong conviction behind a lot of um, scrappy entrepreneurial um, you know, tactics and, and practices and behaviors. Um, so he, he's great. Obviously I mentioned Eric Reese with lean startup methodology. Um, Michael Praiseman at Everlane, um, is a buddy of mine. He's, he's got a lot of great things going. Um, you know, the, I follow Fred Wilson and, uh, Mark Suster here in LA from the VC standpoint, um, which is a little bit, um, you know, that's the capital markets, but of course they talk a lot about a lot of startup stuff as well. Sure. Well, Chris, it has been a delight to have you on the show. I think this is going to be an episode that gets people real fired up. I think they're going to want to jump over and check out truebrain.com, T-R-U-B-R-A-I-N.com. Uh, thank you once again for being on the show and for sharing your, your wisdom and your insights and your own journey with everybody. Yeah, no, this was great, Tom. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, that was fun. Sure, and all of those of you who listened in, hey, we wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for you. I so appreciate everybody who listens. If you like this episode or any of the episodes, jump over to iTunes and leave a review. It makes my whole day better when I check my iTunes and I see somebody left a positive little couple of sentences about why they like the show. So go do that. It helps the show get found by other people. So we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Chris. But in the meantime, you go on out there, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.